This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted. Intercepted. And it's in the ball. Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. So I'm going to start this podcast off with a question for you listening that we're going to answer here. Let's play a game. Let's pretend you are a Division I college football coach, and you have a big home game against your rival. You've been talking it up all week. You've been getting your team fired up. Everybody in the world knows you want to win this game for bragging rights, for the rivalry. And then the game happens, and let's fast forward to the fourth quarter, a minute and change. You trail, but you trail by a single possession, meaning if you score a touchdown, potentially you can be right back in this football game. You can take it to overtime. You can win it. My question for you, do you go for it or do you punt it? Justin Hopkins, how do you answer that question? I, I, I am hoping that my center sails it over the head of my punter <laughs> and then we don't have to w- worry about it. No, what a, you know, just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, to put this in perspective, you know, Mario Cristobal really has done, has made uh, the choices both ways uh, at Oregon, really. You know, you had the choice against Stanford. Uh, you could have punted. You decided to go for it. C.J. Verdell, who almost never fumbles, fumbles, uh, you know, ends up costing you the game. And then consequently, he's done the opposite. Maybe maybe he learned from that mistake. Uh, you know, maybe he just decided uh, later on that it was the right call to make, punted, pinned the team deep and won the game. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, in that particular case, I think, you know, for for me, you know, just looking at it, and of course we have hindsight, if I'm Jimmy Lake uh, and I'm at home and, you know, really you have nothing to lose. I mean, it's not like you're playing for a Rose Bowl berth or, or anything. You're simply at this point playing to beat your conference rival, the team you hate the most, and, and, and ultimately kind of save some face. And uh, I know it's easy to say now it was the wrong choice. I do still think uh, – it, it was a tough choice just because of how far back they were pinned, how deep they were in their own territory. But ultimately, you know, I'm a little bit more of a riverboat gambler, uh, if you will, than apparently Jimmy Lake is. So I probably would have gone for it in that particular case, you know, given Washington's record and kind of where they were at in the season, uh, you know, that they were playing Oregon. Um, sloppy conditions, you never know. Something might have happened your, your way. Uh, you might have gotten you know, a big play or something out of it. Uh, I'd have gone for it, but he didn't. And ultimately, I think it was uh, a bigger swing of the hammer into the nail of his coffin, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I I know that there is uh, a lot of talk about what he did to end up where he is, and we'll talk about that later on. If you're wondering what we're kind of grasping at, there are tweets and and rumors that Jimmy Lake has uh, started negotiating a buyout with Washington. So we'll talk about that as the show progresses. But I, I just, as a football fan, my number one takeaway from that game was how mind-bogglingly dumb and how cowardly that call was. Like, y- you can't talk the way Jimmy Lake has talked about how you want to beat Oregon and how you want to be the top of the Pac-12 and you want to set the standard in the West Coast and then completely shirk in that moment and and just choke the game away. Yeah, he definitely did. Um, you know, and it just seemed to be a lot of questionable uh, things through that game, which I know we'll get into some of the other ones. I, I, I think, you know, kind of more importantly if you take a step back and you look there were a lot like for instance uh, you know k Dotton dropped a wide open pass he hasn't dropped a pass all year uh you know mcmillan one of their they're not one of their star receiver same thing drops a wide open pass right into his hands you just you start to wonder if this is a discipline thing if these guys you know had kind of given up on jimmy lake because it certainly looked 
outside of a couple players, and I, I would say Bruner was one of them. He played a hell of a game at linebacker for the Huskies. But outside of that, you saw a lot of guys, you know, that were seemingly kind of just going through the motions, like just playing uninspired football. And mm-hmm. and uh, you kind of wonder if that's a factor in what's going on up in Seattle at the moment as well. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of stuff there. If you love that Husky schadenfreude, this is the pod for you. Uh, Oregon beats Washington 10-point final, but I, I really feel like the score doesn't tell the full story of this game. Oregon dominated, at least in my opinion. What was your takeaway from the win? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, you know, Oregon could have scored there at the end uh, pretty easily. And, you know, then you throw another six points on there, seven points on there, whatever the case might be. You throw some more points on there. You're into the 30s. Uh, you know, uh, Washington uh, got nine of its 16 points there early in the game to start the game. And then, you know, for the most part, never scored again. Um, you know, Oregon line of scrimmage, you look at the total number of yards on offense. Oregon really ran it up on them, uh, obviously leaning heavily on the run game, which, uh, you know, if you were if you were anybody paying attention to the game going into the game, you thought, okay, Oregon should run the ball over Washington. Mm-hmm. Washington probably felt, hey, look, in order to have a chance against these guys, we need to be able to stop the run, and you just you frankly didn't. So, yeah, I, I you know, I, I've written this so far. I believe it's a fair take. You know, it certainly seems like you have two teams. Uh, well, let, let's just consider that Jimmy Lake's still there because we don't know, but you have two teams headed in completely the wrong directions. Uh, and if you're, you know, if you're a Husky fan, if you're up in Seattle, you know, the, 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 the sirens need to be going off because the, the longer that this keeps going, the harder it's going to be for Washington to claw back into this rivalry or into the conference for that matter. Yeah. And you mentioned the yardage 398 on the ground, only, only 98 through the air. And I know a lot of fans will highlight that part and be critical and I get it, but I think there's a difference between a blue sky, sunny day, 60 degrees, no wind, no rain, your quarterback throws for 98 yards and that pick, or it's a rainstorm in Seattle in November and you only throw for 98, but you still win the game because your running game goes ridiculous. I I felt like that lopsided stat line, was one of the best adjustments I've seen from the Oregon coaching staff this season. Well, yeah, I, you know, obviously that means the offensive line really did their job. I think that means that Joe Moorhead did a really good job of basically saying, all right, this is the way we're going to beat you. You know, try and stop us and, you know, mix it up, you know, simple nuances in there uh, in alignment and just the way that they were doing things, uh, but ultimately probably ran the same you know, three or four plays pretty much throughout the game. And that really tells me that you're focused on the game. You're paying attention. Uh, you know, you've seen a lot uh, on film to be able to know where to hit them. Uh, so, again, you know, Anthony Brown, yeah, you don't love that stat line. You don't love the passing numbers. But as you mentioned, I think people really just haven't given enough thought to how tough that game was. Swirling wind, rain, you're soaking wet. It's hard to catch. It's hard to see the ball coming at you. It's hard to squeeze the ball and throw it. Um, I, I think if you're Oregon, I think if you're Mario Cristobal, you, you really said, hey, look, let's stick to the run game. Let's try and not give them, uh, you know, chances. Let's not, you know, chance throwing the ball much because you might, you know, sail a ball or, or, or whatnot because of the elements. Um, you know, you just really kind of keep that game. And I, I think that was a thing for Oregon. We're in Seattle, tough opponent. Let's just keep this game within reach, you know, I feel, you know, if I'm Mario Cristobal, I feel confident that we can, you know, win this game by doing that and limit mistakes and run the ball out. And that certainly, that certainly seems like uh, what Oregon did. And of course, like you said, uh, they were able to push uh, Washington's defensive line wherever they wanted to. So uh, kudos to that offensive line. Yeah. And, uh, and, and a big test this week against Washington State. Then, of course, uh, a Pac-12 South matchup against Utah and Oregon State in the finale. Assume that this identity, this style, is the Oregon team you see over the final three weeks of the regular season where they can run, they can't 
really air it out. Like they'll they'll get a couple hundred yards. They might get a couple touchdowns, but there might be an interception or two along the way. Is that a winning formula to win out and win the Pac-12? Uh, I mean, I think in terms of the conference, yeah, I think I think they're going to be fine. You know, in terms of who they play moving forward, I think. Uh, you know, I, I, I think this. I think Oregon's, uh, ironically enough, probably played the easiest games on its schedule so far. It's looking like Cal's not a very good football team. It's looking like, you know, Stanford's not really a very good football team. Uh, but it does look like Utah's a good football team. It looks like Oregon State is definitely a team that you got to watch out for. Uh, and we know that that Washington State is a team that has very much given Oregon trouble in the past, and they are playing really good football. Um, they're dynamic on offense. So yeah, you're, you know, you're heading down the stretch. You're the number three team in the country. It's got to be incredibly hard, you know, for you to to go into these games and and you're eight and one and you've you know beaten Ohio State and UCLA and 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 most of the games that were deemed tough on your schedule. You know, it's it's tough to keep those guys focused and locked in, but that's what you got to do. And Again, I don't I don't see a give me left on this schedule for Oregon in any way uh, with any of the remaining opponents. So, yeah, I, I think you run the ball a lot. It's clear that Travis Dye is feeling great. The offensive line is making holes for him. Um, you know, it's clear that if you keep the game in check for Anthony Brown, he can move the ball effectively. Now, of course, you can't lean on him and say, hey, we need you to, you know, throw the ball for you know, 500 yards this game and, and five passing touchdowns, he's not going to give you that. But again, if you can mix it up and keep your offense reasonably balanced with that, with the limited amount of passes you can make, uh, it's a winning formula. And if this defense can continue playing the way it did in Washington uh, against, uh, against the Huskies, uh, it's a pretty darn good recipe. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's the other half of it is, and this is something that, that some of your readers, uh, QB11, who I know does a lot of work with you and on your site, uh, he's talked about for years, when Oregon wins the turnover battle, positive turnover differential, more often than not, Mario Cristobal wins games. And and you see that with this defense week in, week out, where they're, ge- they're generating sacks, they're pressuring the quarterback, and then on third downs, they're forcing turnovers. Um, y- you have... Uh, You've banged the drum for years about some of the talents on this defense. I remember you talking about Javon Holland before anybody else would be hyping him up. Uh, then it was Mikhail Wright, and and you would say, hey, Mikhail Wright's the uh, the second best defender, or even sometimes the best defender on this Oregon team. Who's that next guy that that you look at as the one that's going to keep that standard on defense going forward? Um, you know, it's tough to, it's tough to know in, uh, that's a good question. I I don't know that, that anyone has presented themselves in a way right now. Um, oh, here's what I'm trying, what I'm trying to say is Mikel Wright, you know, we don't hear his name called a ton because that's frankly, because he's doing his job. I'm not going to go ahead and say no to Sewell because that cat's already out of the bag, right? Right. I mean, he's obviously playing at a high, high level. I think the one guy right now that the last two or three weeks has really poured it on, and it's it's pretty well documented, is Jeff Bassa. You know, he's he's been moved from you know kind of coming in as a safety, but ultimately, you know, something I said really almost as soon as he showed up on campus is, hey, this guy's future is probably at linebacker. He's probably going to grow into linebacker. You know, I think injuries kind of thrust that uh, in that direction for him maybe sooner than expected, but that's not a bad thing. Uh, and he's playing some excellent football. I mean, he's just, you know, you heard coach Cristobal mentioned, you know, he understands his run fits. He understands the defense and what they're trying to do. You know, he's a guy at linebacker that you can play him there and he doesn't get lost, uh, in the passing game. Um, you know, so a lot of good things coming from him. We've already kind of been pretty big Brandon Dorless fans, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. I think Braden Swinson's another guy you got to watch out for, uh, you know, as well as he continues to get healthy. But uh, the next guy for me is uh, is Jason Jones at defensive line. You know, he was a big big guy that Oregon got from Alabama. People weren't sure if he was going to be an offensive lineman or defensive lineman. Uh, you know, obviously he's grown into a defensive tackle. Not grown. He was you know he was six seven six eight when he got here, but. Um, you know, he's a guy that's really looks like he's found his home on defensive line um, and he's come along the last two or three weeks. So, 
you know, injuries are piling up, but again, this is where, you know, and Kirby Smart mentioned this, this is where your recruiting pays off. You know, you might have a guy that's not totally ready yet, but he's good enough athletically to not absolutely kill you when he's in the game. And I, I think that's what we're seeing, uh, you know, for Oregon right now. Yeah. Um, power running, solid defense, forcing turnovers. Last week we said if Oregon stayed the four seed, it would be a very, very, very brief party because the semifinal would be pretty ugly against Georgia. Do you feel better about the Ducks as a three seed playing Bama? Feel better uh, about a three seed? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a, a good Alabama team, but a beatable Alabama team. I, you know, Oregon would have to play, you know, as we know, a pretty complete game. Oregon would have to move the ball offensively. Uh, in the passing game, you know, they're not going to be able to just line up and run right over them like they can uh, in pretty much everybody in the Pac-12 conference. Uh, we know that. But again, that is that is a winnable game for Oregon. Doesn't mean they show up and they win the game automatically, but you got a shot. I mean, I suppose you got a shot against Georgia, but, it, you know, we know it's going to be really, really tough. They're really good. They're deep. Uh, and again, their recruiting efforts have paid off for them in the last three or four years under Kirby Smart. So feel better about that. Uh you know, I know that there's some folks that still think even though Oregon's a three, that they're going to need some help to stay as a three. I'm not so sure that that's the case. I think if you're the committee, unless Oregon loses a game, but let's just say they don't lose a game, unless they look absolutely flat and have a bunch of one, two, three point victories, you know, the rest of the way, you're going to have a really tough time moving them out of that spot if they are doing their job because their strength of schedule is going to hold up, which is obviously why they're there in the first place. So, yeah, like playing uh, Alabama a whole lot better than I like playing Georgia. Um, you know, that said, and something that, that I've kind of been talking about or alluding to is, uh, you know, I think if you're Oregon, uh, you know, as we kind of keep going here, your your benchmark really shouldn't be, you know, beating schools in the Pac-12. You, at this point, should be able to go through and beat pretty much everybody in your conference. You're, you're ultimately you know, trying to measure yourself up against these other schools that you'll be playing in the postseason and trying to, you know, determine if you're on their level or not yet, which is going to be really tough, you know, which is really tough when you're the best team in the conference and you and you clean house on everybody and then you go play somebody tougher. You know, you haven't really faced that level of competition uh, until that game. So it's tough for you to know how you stack up. So, um, you know, for me, I think Oregon really needs to start putting it on some of these Pac-12 teams moving the rest of the way if they want to feel like they have a pretty good shot against a Georgia or an Alabama or an Ohio State or Oklahoma or whoever. Yeah. For years on this pod, you've talked about, you know, the, the idea that Oregon's trying to build a Bama of the West or, or sometimes you've thrown out Clemson as a better analogy uh, just because the ACC is a lot easier than the SEC, and I think the Pac-12 is uh, around similar to the ACC in that way. Um, I, I kind of think of them in Oklahoma in that light because you have the Sooners getting into the playoff regularly and then getting drilled when they get there. Um, I, I also just think if Oregon can hang with Alabama, like, like let's say they don't win, right? Because that's Saban, that's Alabama, that's a factory. Um, let's say they don't win that game, but it's close. I think that would have as much of a statement about the, the trajectory of Oregon and the success of Mario Cristobal as the win over Ohio State did. Yeah, I mean, you know, right again, you know, uh, uh, and, and I would say, you know, this is something QB11 and I talked about on the phone the other day. You know, right now, if you're Oregon, you're not really recruiting uh, to beat USC and Washington. You've done that. You know what I mean? You're 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 beyond them. You're you know, now your goal is to be recruiting at a level that will give you a chance to compete with Ohio state and Georgia and Alabama. And as we've seen, that is the case, you know, Oregon obviously was able to beat Ohio state, you know, was that the best Ohio state team that they've had in the last three or four years? Maybe not, but it's still a good team. Uh, it's, it's clearly uh, what appears to be much better than any of the teams, you, you know, you've faced in the PAC 12 so far. Um, it, you know, and again, so yeah, is Oregon the number, you know, whatever, four or five ranked team in the recruiting classes. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's where you're closing the gap there instead of saying, Oh, we got to stay ahead of 
of USC and Washington. No, you're way ahead of them. They, they've got a lot of work to do to catch up. Now your your next goal is, you know, closing that gap with Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, those schools, because, you know, now you can be that premier team out West, uh, you know, get yourself, uh, you know, just stack up the conference championships and then know that when you get to those big games, those playoff games, that you have a chance to compete against those guys because that's the next step. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other thing on the playoff, I, I noticed, you mentioned that that some people are concerned Oregon might slip from number three, and I, and I think this is a good point. I think there are are two schools of thought with the college football playoff. There are the people that that really think there is a science to this, and I credit Dave Bartu, our friend that that we've had on this pod before, uh, because he's broken down the numbers and, and seems to think. There is a science to it that, that it's really just strength of schedule boiled down to it, and and that's why Oregon and Ohio State are ahead of Cincinnati, um, and then there are people and and I I point to myself and a lot of beat writers across the country that seem to think the selection committee is just a soap opera. Or, or TV reality show where you're just picking the best teams for TV and the biggest programs to get the most attention, ratings, eyeballs, whatever. Um, what's your take on all of that? How do you think the playoff committee comes to the best teams in America? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think strength of schedule is big for them. Um, you know, I think Oregon was rewarded with major major kudos, major bonus points for going out, seeking out Ohio State and scheduling that game. I think the committee rewarded them for that. Said, hey, look, you know what? You guys, you know, have shown that you're ready, you know, willing to take on, you know, bigger schools and, and, and kind of challenge yourselves and and obviously make an exciting game that, you know, for college football, they're able to televise and, and promote and, you know, it makes a difference for them. Um, yeah, I, I think strength of schedule is big. I think that that's something that Rob Mullen very much knows after serving on the committee. I think that's very much, you know, a major part in why Rob Mullen is very active trying to schedule games like Texas A&M and Georgia and Ohio State and, and you name it. They're at, they're after big games. And I think he's also very much aware that, let's be real, you know, or- Oregon is very much carrying the banner for the Pac-12 right now. And quite frankly, the conference isn't very good. So I think most years, let's say Oregon schedules three powder cakes to start the season, uh, you know, and and doesn't schedule anyone tough. I, I think Oregon is going to very much be a, a team like Oklahoma or Cincinnati in this year's ranking that says, hey, man, we, you know, we're 8-0. What more do we need to do? Well, you're 8-0 because you haven't played anybody, you know, and, and, and I, I think that's what the committee's looking at. And I think that's very much why Oregon – you know, got got. I'm going to say they got lucky that Fresno State was as good as they are, and that's a good football team. And you know, they were rewarded for scheduling Ohio State. So, um, yeah, I think that that we could see that's very much what the committee's looking at. Um, and I I think that the years that Oregon doesn't have those tougher games, uh, out of conference games in the first you know first three games, uh, you know they're going to be the ones that finds themselves you know like Oklahoma and Cincinnati, you know kind of saying hey why not us we're eight no or whatever how are these guys ahead of us well this is why yeah yeah okay well you know we'll we'll table that for uh for the weeks ahead as we we learn more about what these selections are but yeah i i i think that 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 is one of the better rationalizations i've heard for for why oregon wound up in this position and, and where they go from there um ducks battling wazoo this week mario kind of got his jabs in he said these guys were probably oregon's biggest or truest rival uh last few years how do you feel about that i mean he's right i've you know i've written several times now before the washington game after the washington game it's like hey look i get it washington fans you know and duck fans hate each other i get it that's great for sport but let's be real. Oregon State's actually a better rival statistically to Oregon in the last 15 and 20 years than Washington is. You know, they've won more games against the Ducks. And, you know, you look at a team like Washington State, they're, they're even closer. You know, they're, they're ahead of both of those teams, uh, you know, to be ahead of, of Washington. So, 
um yeah that i believe it you know they've they've come down and of course mike leach was the coach for for most of those games but they but they've come down and beat oregon in austin stadium you know oregon's always had a tough time playing in pullman i mean who doesn't the the elements up there in november and december are brutal so yeah they are definitely very much the you know in my opinion as far as games are concerned and schedule and outcome they're very much the uh rival to oregon right now at least in honestly in the pac-12 are you concerned at all about this game thousand percent i said something last week i said something again this week as soon as oregon beat washington this game is a huge concern to me this is uh you know a vintage trap game you've got washington state coming off of a bye that have had extra time to prepare for oregon they've had time to rest up get healthy you've got oregon coming off of you know their most and still their most passionate game of the year with their rival washington whether it was close or not it doesn't matter you definitely had your attention focused on washington um this has the ultimate makings of a trap game in my mind and and even more so because washington state is better this year than they have been in years past when they've beaten the ducks i think they're a more complete team they're they're better balanced they have a hell of a run game because max borgie is a total stud um yeah i have major concerns about this about this game i think it's going to be a lot closer than it should be yeah yeah i'm with you for whatever reason they just tend to play the ducks tough i think about a couple years ago where um we we hype up an oregon overtime win over the huskies that's the game where uh, jake browning has that surrender cobra at the end while the ducks kick that uh or while the uh while the huskies miss the potential game-winning kick in regulation and then cj verdell pounds it through in overtime um and then a week later, they goose egg the first half against Washington State and lose that game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like – the only thing I like about this game, the only thing I like about this game is the fact that it's at home for Oregon. You know, they, they, they tend to, to play a little bit better at home. Uh, you know, I like that even I, – I, I like that element for Oregon – um, again, I don't like that Washington State was able to take the week off and prepare for this game, um, and I don't like the fact that it's a 7:30 Pac-12 after dark game. So, <laughs> yeah, Pac-12 after dark. Um, you want to talk hoops, or do you want to uh, jump into the Jimmy Lake conversation for a few minutes? Yeah, we may as well dive onto that. Uh, mine, mine. Uh, uh, excuse me. Mind bomb there. Okay. <laughs> landmine. Landmine. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> it happens to me, and I, I always joke, you know, I speak for a living, but uh, sometimes not so well. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Lake, what we know is he is suspended for at least one game. What we think we know, as this has been reported on Twitter and, and, and said through sources on KJR, a sports radio station up in Seattle, what we think we know is that Jimmy Lake and Washington are working on a buyout. Is that the right move? Um, well, I, well, yeah. To answer that directly, yeah, that's the right move. Um, you know, it's pretty clear that that, that experiment isn't working uh, for, for Washington. Uh, he's, he's in over his head, as is evidenced by you know, some of the hires by what we saw on Saturday, you know, some of the other elements. I think the bigger key to all of this is that I think uh, if I, I, Jimmy Lake's job isn't on the line, he's he's done. OK, so that that's not really what's at stake here. I think Jen Cohen's job is on the line if she doesn't make the right move here and she hasn't out to be able to, you know, terminate Jimmy Lake and to save face because of what happened saturday night and you know the altercation on the sidelines and all these other things uh you know i i I think this is pretty much her way of keeping her job at this point moving forward i think it doesn't have anything to do with jimmy lake i think it has everything to do with her so that's kind of my take on it um i mean jimmy's going to get fired whether it's it's now or later in the year he's getting fired either way but i think right now i think if you're jen cohen you know, you have a, a chance to probably hold on to your job for another year because, frankly, 
I, there's a lot of people coming. Not nobody's coming after Jim anymore because I think that's done. Everybody's coming after her now, and that's. Right. I think that's kind of where we're at this week. Yeah, yeah. I, I said on my show yesterday that I thought the suspension was an opportunity for Washington to just buy time, and if there was any way they could walk away from that Jimmy Lake contract, I think they still owe him ten million if they fired him without cause. Um, that that was just an opportunity for them to kind of look and see, like, okay, he laid his hands on a student athlete. Is that enough to fire him? And and I I think they're looking and they'd like to walk away from that contract. But the other way to look at this is if you negotiate a buyout, then potentially you don't have to pay the entirety of that contract and you get to wipe your hands free and clear anyway. So I would expect Washington looks for a coach this offseason and then my follow-up to that is, if they're looking for a coach this offseason, who do you think they go after? Well, I, I saw the the first link to that. You know, I think it was Wilner, whom I'm not a, a big fan of, but in, in some of these instances, he does a pretty good job. You know, Justin Wilcox's name came up right away mm. uh, as far as a replacement. Uh, one of the – I'm pretty sure I saw one of the first responses was from – presumably a Cal fan that said, yes, please, please take him. Um, so that's usually not a good sign. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I don't have anything against uh, Justin Wilcox. I think he's a good coach. He runs a clean program, um, you know, recruits, recruits decently well. Um, I don't think it's a very good, I don't, I, I think for what, what Washington is used to and what they would like, I, I just don't think that he moves the needle. You know what I mean? I think, like if I was grading it, it would be a C higher. You know what I mean? It's kind of the safe, safe higher. It's, you know, it's not really the attractive higher for me. And I'll keep banging the drum on this. It sure seems like the guy to hire is down South in Corvallis. Now I think eventually somebody's going to get smart and realize Jonathan Smith is the guy. Uh, maybe not my next one. And, and this is kind of a, a curveball. but my next one uh, is Fresno state's Kalen DeBoer. And you've got to look at what he's done there at Fresno State, the way that offense looks, um, the way those guys are playing football. You know that that's a guy that is probably very attractive to a lot of a lot of schools, if not this year, next year for sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot to like with Justin Wilcox, uh, the pride of Junction City, just 15 miles outside Eugene. Of course, the Oregon ties. Um, but I, I I'm with you. I don't know if what he's done at Cal is enough to make Washington better. Like, you, you still might have a, a, a ceiling on that team at eight or nine wins. Um, I, 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 I don't think Jonathan Smith is a serious candidate there, and not because of the money. Like, I, I get your argument, and you've brought this up two weeks now, that – he doesn't make that much at Oregon State. I think he's the eleventh paid coach in the eleventh most paid coach in the conference. But um, I, I just have a hard time picturing an Oregon State legend leaving his alma mater. Like that, that just seems tough to me. Uh, leaving your alma mater for somewhere in conference, um, and and then outside of those two names, I'm not sure who goes. Like I don't know. Who looks at Mario Cristobal dominating in recruiting, and USC about to reload and and potentially be more competitive in recruiting, and Oregon State on an upward trajectory, and of course Justin Wilcox if he stays at Cal, I don't know who else looks at that Washington job and says, yeah, I want to compete with all of that. Yeah, I don't. Uh... You know, in terms of Jonathan Smith, I think the the key there is is you know Washington can afford a lot more than Oregon State. And let's be real, if he's make I don't know I I don't know what his salary is, but he's probably making two point seven five or so at Oregon State. You know, they, they could probably get him closer to four million if they really wanted him. I think he's the guy you should hire. But like you said, that's going to be tough. Um, I've always said this, and you know, people that you know, let, this isn't one of those weeks, but the weeks where. Oregon doesn't win as big as they should, or they lose to Stanford. People are wondering if, if Mario Cristobal is the right guy. 
my question always is, who are you going to hire next? Yeah, I like who's the upgrade? Who's who's? I mean, because mm-hmm. Nick Saban is not calling Rob Mullen and saying, "Hey, I want that job." I mean, so if you're going to move on from Mario Cristobal, who's the guy? And that's you know, to me, the million dollar question for Washington. Now, Washington, uh, two weeks ago, you know, my question was, okay, look, you want to move on from Jimmy Lake? Fine, have a plan in place of who you can hire and who's an upgrade for you. Who's reasonable? Who's attainable? Luke Fickle's not attainable. His buyout's like close to $20 million or something ridiculous. It's an insane buyout. So is he a great coach? Sure, he'd be a great candidate. You can't afford it. You know, Washington can't, Oregon can't. Um, You know, so who can you reasonably afford that wants to come that would be a clear upgrade. Now, Washington's in a much different situation now than it was two weeks ago. You had the bad loss. You got the bad sideline interaction with Jimmy Lake. You've got people, basically, everybody and their dog has turned on Jimmy Lake. You can't keep him. So now it's no longer about who you can get or who's an upgrade. It's about, it, it is about who we can get. But, uh, you know, you don't really have the choice to be selective at this particular point now. No, no. Um, that shot's already fired. Um Okay. All right. I, I feel like we covered everything on the game itself. We'll have lock of the week at the end of the pod. Do you want to go basketball or do you want to go five games? Uh, let's hit on basketball real quick so I can look up my five games, but we won't spend much time just since it's the, uh, you know, it's the first week, first couple games here. Sure. Good basketball! We'll start with the men. Big opener for them at Matt Knight as Oregon runs past Texas Southern. Uh, What I loved in that game is you saw the Dana Altman system on full display. A lot of five-out motion. Some would call it small ball. Oregon going with, uh, you know, three guards and two forwards. Not really a true center. Not really a true banger inside. And they can win that way. But I also saw them ease in that freshman class with some of those big guys like Nathan Biddle from Southern Oregon. Seven minutes, no points, but he gets a block. I think the sky is the limit for him. And if Oregon can incorporate those young bigs, those seven-footers that they got in that last recruiting class, I think this team could be really, really competitive in the Pac-12. But he's got a nice blend of guys that can score, guys that can run, guys that can get to the basket combined with big men. And that's really not something he's had in the last few years. It's it's kind of been one or the other. And, uh, you know, this really feels like the first year that he has a lot of a lot of diversity to be able to do different things, to be multiple. And 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 I think. For the first time in a long time, that's something Dana Altman hasn't had, and I think that makes him really dangerous. That makes Oregon really dangerous. And and I'm with you with what we saw in, in simply in game one. You know, obviously these guys aren't even remotely close to, you know, building the chemistry yet and gelling together. Uh, it's pretty exciting to see that this is, uh, you know, this is the beginning product because I got a feeling the finished product is going to be absolutely phenomenal. And I think we're I think we're definitely in for a treat of a season for Oregon men's basketball. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. March is going to look a lot different than this squad in November. Again, I'm going to mention Nate Biddle. You talk about how Dana Altman hasn't had a team with this kind of balance. And I think back to the bowl bowl team from a few years ago. If Nate Biddle can bulk up and, and maybe that doesn't happen in one year, maybe that takes two years. But if he adds some strength and and can handle the rigors of playing inside defensively at the collegiate level, you have a player that can be what Oregon wanted Bull Bull to be. That's how good he is yeah. as a shooter. Yes, and and you have a guy that's probably you know not going to want and done you. You know, I mean, there's no doubt he's not going to want and done you this year. But I mean, my point is, you probably have a guy that can that can put that will play in your system for two, three, maybe four years. But even if you're just getting, you know, three out of them, you know, that's a pretty good run. So I, I think there's a lot of lot of excitement for that to be the case. And I think, and that's not an indictment against Biddle. It's not like, oh, he's terrible. He's going to play at Oregon for two or three years. Right. You know, it's, a, it's some guys just need more time to develop. And, and, and I think he's a guy that can benefit, like you said, from getting stronger, 
uh, from refining his game a little bit. Um, and, and he could be a tremendous NBA player, but give him a couple of years at Oregon. He could be a really good player. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact that, that he only needs seven minutes again, I I'm really excited with this core of big men. I think that's a huge upgrade. If you just remember back to USC whipping the ducks in two key games late in the year, uh, getting the better of Oregon in the, the late stretch of the Pac-12 regular season, which then dropped the Ducks into that part of the bracket where they matched up with OSU and lost in the tournament. And then, of course, that loss to USC in the Sweet 16. When they play schools that could go big, they had no answer for it. I think this year we start to see an answer for it. Um, did you notice that Joe Young's little brother made some threes in that game? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I didn't watch the whole game, uh, but caught a few of the things that you've mentioned so far. Um, you know, those early games are tough. It's unfortunate that Oregon had to play it uh, at four o'clock rather than, you know, putting them on at night. But right. it was great to see the the women play at night, too. So I think that's a heck of a treat for, for Duck fans to, you know, be able to go to Matt Knight Arena and watch both the men's and women's play in one day. That's that's a heck of a treat, really. Yeah. Uh, wish I wish I lived in the area to take advantage of that, but I don't. So, uh, no, just just tons of tons of positives from uh, I, again two things that have stood out about what you've mentioned to me. You know, you've mentioned two players that I wouldn't consider are are key players for this year, and that simply means that this team won't live and die with just one player. No. You know, last year. Oregon lived and died when Chris Duarte was on, you know, and, and occasionally would get a big game, uh, you know, from somewhere else. Uh, this year feels much different that it, it could be, it could honestly be, you know, a different player every week that, that helps carry this team, or it could just be a really well-balanced uh, effort. And, and that gives me a lot of comfort because it's pretty dangerous when you're living and dying with just one player every game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jacob Young, the player of note, transfer from Rutgers. I'm really interested to see what he does this year just because his brother was one of, if not my favorite, Oregon Hoops players ever. I loved Joe's game. Um, you mentioned those ladies. This game, super telling to me. Idaho State, on, on the schedule, like on a ticket stub, you see Oregon plays Idaho State, and you just assume Oregon's going to win that game and win it big. But Idaho State was a tournament team last year. They were the Big Sky regular season and Big Sky tournament champs. That's a good mid-major conference. That's a good school. And Oregon slaughtered them, 91-34. What excites you the most after that win? Uh, You know, I I feel like I'm using the same... uh, the same recipe for both the men's and women, but in my opinion, this is the biggest squad that Kelly Grace has had. I mean, biggest in terms of height, you know, they've got three or four bodies in there that can bang. Um, and, and I really, you know, normally we've seen them, uh, the, the women kind of live and die by the three, uh, and don't get me wrong, Satu and, and, and Ruthie, you know, they were beasts in the paint and I love their efforts, but they've got some, <laughs> they've got some pretty good size this year. Uh, they're still hitting threes at a pretty good clip. Uh, you know, obviously didn't have Tahina Pow Pow and Indaya Rogers last night. And those are going to be, be two of the players that they count on for scoring uh, this season, uh, assuming that they both play. And it sounds like Tahina should be back in the next week or two. Uh, not quite so sure that Rogers will be back that quick, but you get those two girls back in and into the mix. It's a pretty deep team. And again, you've got a lot of flexibility uh, for Coach Graves to be able to, you know, line up and go small and, and play fast and shoot your threes or, you know, to go ahead and put some size out there and really bang them around in the paint. So that's a that's a really deadly combination to give a guy like Kelly Graves. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of the inverse of the Oregon men where last year the Oregon men struggled when teams went big against them. And, and last year, the Oregon ladies, I think, wanted to go big, but would struggle when teams would spread them out. I, I, I Again, I, I agree with you. That balance is going to prove really pivotal in the Pac-12 because on the women's side, that's the best conference in college basketball. That's a gauntlet. It is. Every year. Every year, the women's basketball 
is just is just insanely good and you know oregon has to you know kind of scrimp and claw its way through the conference most years but it you know just if 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 yesterday's any indication of this team it certainly looks like they're going to be the team to beat and they're going to be tough okay all right so we'll we'll put a fork in that uh men play friday um let me let me let me check this you know literally talking out of my backside while while saying this but um do, do you know the next game the women play, Justin? Sunday. They play Sunday. I, Sunday. I, I Googled they play it right su- now. Yeah. They play Sunday. The men play Friday. Okay. Yeah, so men Friday, SMU. Uh, ladies play Sunday, Dixie State. And then they go to, uh, oh, they go to Oklahoma in, in a week. That's going to be interesting. Okay. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so some home games at Matt Knight. Are you uh, hanging out with your dogs there? Yeah, you hear them. There's a couple of morons <laughs> wrestling in the living room. I just walked in so I could get a, a a a pen and a piece of paper so I could write down five games. Right. And those two morons are in there wrestling around. They're Great Danes, so I mean, right. you know, it's pouring down rain outside here. Well, it's not pouring. It is raining here in Medford, and so you know, I don't have them outside. I have them inside. So yeah, they're in the living room just being a couple of morons. Uh. I, I had a coworker in my first job out of college that she had a Great Dane, and and that was both the most majestic dog, also one of the goofier dogs I've ever encountered in my life. Uh, for yeah, those who, who don't have them, walk us through what it's like being a Great Dane dad. Uh, you know, they, they are, well, mine are, mine are actually not super big. I think one... The bigger one's about 120 pounds. The smaller one's around 90-ish pounds. She's kind of dainty, 90, 80, yeah, somewhere in there. Um, you know, they, they at that weight, they believe that they're lap dogs. They're clearly not <laughs> lap dogs. They want to sleep in the bed. I don't let them sleep in the bed or else I wouldn't have anywhere to sleep. Right. Um, you know, they are, they get, well, their skin is so, uh, you know, thin, their fur is so thin, they get cold pretty easily. So you can't, you know, I mean, you can't leave them out like, a, you know, say like a Rottweiler or something where a little thicker dog that, that can stay warmer. Um, you know, they, they obviously eat a ton. Uh, they recycle everything they eat very quickly. Um, they're, I don't know, they're, they're good dogs. They're sweet dogs. They're loving dogs. Um, you know, we've had the one for several years. Rosie's her name. She's spotted. Uh, kind of looks, everybody thinks she's a giant Dalmatian, but she's not. She's great Dane. Um, she's a sweetheart of a dog. So th- they're good dogs. They're great family dogs. You know, they're very gentle. Um, I've only had one encounter with, with the bigger one where we were out in public. And for whatever reason, she did not like this guy. And her first threw it up a little bit. It's the only time I've ever, ever had to even like command her, you know, not to. And I don't know. Uh, and the guy was kind of shady looking, so she obviously picked up on something that she did not like about that individual. But outside right. of that, they've been, you know, the the FedEx guy, you know, shows up and they run right up to him and lick him in the face, and you know, they're they're big friendly puppies. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, that last part surprised me a little bit, but otherwise, yeah, I'm I'm laughing, grinning, thinking about uh, all the friends I know that have them. Those are great dogs. Um, well, they're they're huge. Like anybody who pulls up and doesn't see them, if they go running towards them, right? People shit their pants because it's a massive hundred something pound dog and we're charging at him. It's like, yeah, he's charging at you, but he's gonna lick you in the face. That's what's coming. So, you know. But I get it when a dog like that's running at you. You're like, oh crap, oh crap. And uh, yeah, so I mean, once you get to know them, they're obviously sweet. But yeah, when, if you're if you're a stranger and you haven't, you know, you haven't interacted with them yet, you you definitely uh, ha- kind of have a oh crap moment when you see them. Yeah. Um, you want to do five games? I do. Let's get this thing a rolling. All right. We play this game every week. It's called Five Games We Think You Should Watch, and it works like this. I pick five games, and Justin picks five games. The catch is none of these games are the Oregon game. We assume you're going to watch that one. These are five more for you, and I'm going to start 9 a.m. on Fox Saturday morning. I think this is a big game for the Big 12. It's also a pivotal game for the Ducks because if you buy into the idea that a team can pass them in the playoff, 
This is one of the teams that gets mentioned in that idea. Number eight, Oklahoma, going to number 13, Baylor. Yep, I wrote it down, too. It's a no-brainer. Uh, big game. You know, obviously, like you said, you know, for Oregon fans moving forward, you kind of have an eye on those, uh, you know, on those, you know, undefeated teams that are behind you. I think you've got to have an eye on them a little bit. You've got to keep a, you know, keep tabs on Cincinnati, keep tabs on Oklahoma, um, and just kind of see where, where things fall. This one definitely very much falls into the, you know, upset alert category for me because I, I still don't see that Oklahoma is all that good of a football team, but I guess we'll find out this weekend, uh, you know, in my opinion, whether they're for real or not. What's your second game? Uh, Purdue and Ohio State uh, for many of the same. It's a 12-30 game, you know, so it doesn't cross over with the 9 o'clock. Uh, it very much, uh, you know, it very much is a game that Oregon fans should be watching. And, and you know, as as I thought and as we saw, Purdue's a really good football team, you know, obviously beating Michigan State last week. So I guess we'll see if they can keep it alive. Yeah, yeah, I have that one down too. Um it, it, it's it's funny. We both were patting ourselves on the back after that Purdue win Saturday. I think the Boilermakers are a really good team, and I'm I'm not gonna pick them to beat Ohio State, but I think they can hang with Ohio State. Like they have all the same ingredients that Minnesota did in the opener, and and I I think they can play a certain way to give the Buckeyes fits on Saturday. So I I think that. This is going to be a good game. Yep, I think it'll be a good game. Definitely one worth watching. Third game for me, 2.30 on Pac-12 Network. You might laugh at this. You might roll your eyes at this. I have them down, not because these teams are good, but because I think this is a must-win game for both sides. Stanford need to stop the bleeding. Oregon State, I don't know what the heck's going on for them last couple weeks. Uh, I, I want to see if these teams can break the skid. Yeah, you know, Oregon State, you know, first you're playing really good. You're kind of the talk of, of the conference, you know, in terms of surprising people. And next thing you know, you've dropped a couple. Uh, Stanford, you know, I expected them to be better than they are. And they're, and they're just quite frankly not. Um, you know, been 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 a, a tough couple of years for uh, David Shaw. Uh, you know, recruiting, I think kind of, I, I think recruiting got the better of him for a couple of years there. I think he's, he's, he's turning that around a little bit. So we'll see if he can write the ship, but yeah, you know, that's definitely a game to watch. I did put down a different pac 12 game at four o'clock. I've got ASU and UW. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, you know, just, I just want to have eyes on it. I just want to see, you know, a is ASU for real, you know, can they be the team from the South? Utah would have to lose a couple for that to happen, but um, you know, and, 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 I don't know, just how does Washington respond with everything that's going on? You know, will they will they be be for real or not? Yeah, and that's my fourth game as well. So we're sharing a lot of these so far. It, that one, I know this audience loves Husky misery. You guys love yeah. Husky tears. You love when they struggle. You love when it hurts for them. You tune into Seattle radio and you relish how crazy everything is right now. Uh, if you're on that end, that spectrum, this is the game for you because you have an Arizona State program that is is reeling with some difficult questions for their future. Do they keep Herm Edwards? Do they keep Ray Anderson, their AD? Do they let those guys go and blow it up and start over? Um, and, and then you have a program in Washington that – I, I think has already answered that question, and, and I'm just assuming, based on what we've read today, Jimmy Lake will be bought out. That's still being worked on, but Jimmy Lake may be bought out, and regardless, we know he's not going to coach this game Saturday. So you have a program that has a potential uncertain future and a program that definitely has an uncertain future. This could be a, a – it's not a Pac-12 after dark game, but it's going to have that after dark feel. I think it's going to get weird. Yeah, and imagine if they don't have, uh, you know, Jimmy Lake's buyout or whatever done by then, and Washington goes out and win. I, w- I would certainly think that's the nail in the coffin there. But who knows? Right. Um, I've got Texas A&M and Ole Miss. I don't think we've gone over that one yet. You've got number eleven versus number fifteen. 
you know, Texas A&M is a pretty good football team. I don't think there's any way they can really get into the top four, but you never know. There's still several weeks left there. Um, I, I picked that one just for uh, a good game worth watching, and it, and it fit a good time slot as well. Yeah, 4 o'clock on ESPN. Remember, A&M beat Bama, so they can beat anybody in the country on their best day. And Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, I, I got to tip my hat to him again. I think he's going to get some offers to, to coach at some bigger programs this year. Um, I, I didn't have that game down, but I get it, right? It's a good marquee matchup out of the best conference in college football. Should be a good game to watch. Uh, 4 o'clock on ESPN. The, the last game for me, I had this down, and this is the silliest rationale for any of the games I might pick all year. But have you seen the punter for San Diego State? No, I haven't. Okay, this guy, <laughs> this guy had um, th- this stat blew my mind. In the last five years of the NFL, there has been one 80-yard punt. Right, that's super rare. It basically, you need everything to go right for an 80-yard punt, and it happens once in five years. And this punter for San Diego State has two in the past month, and I think he has a 70-yarder as well. This guy is just bulldozing the record books as a punter. So I, I, it's crazy to say this, right? I want to watch the punter, 7.30 on CBS Sports Network, number 22, San Diego State, hosting Nevada, Reno. I, I, I want to see that punter. Sound, sounds like we'll be seeing him on Sunday somewhere uh, when, when he makes that jump. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's your fifth game? Uh, no, that was it for me. I got them all down. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, you know what? I think you're right. I think I I think we only differed on the Oregon State game. Uh, yeah, Oregon State, and then I had Texas A&M and Ole Miss. I right. think that was the trade-off. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, Okay, well, uh, five games, and we'll move on. We got one last thing to get out of the way, and that's our lock of the week. Lock of the week, a prediction we're so confident about, we lock it in. I'll start with you, Justin. What's your lock this week? Well, you know, I'm just going to kind of go ahead and and go with an obvious name here, but, you know, I know Oregon's going to lean on the run game as they should, but I feel like they're going to open it up this week and and give Wazoo a curveball. I feel like we'll see a really big game from Anthony Brown, and and I think they will go to the air. I looked up the weather, and it looks like it'll be cool but dry in Eugene on Saturday night. So, you know, it doesn't look like weather is going to be a major issue. So, for me, I've got Anthony Brown, and I know these aren't mind-boggling stats, but I've got him down. You can can book him for 250 yards through the air and two touchdowns uh, through the air on Saturday night. That's my lock of the week. Ooh. Ooh. I like that. I like that because remember last year when these schools matched up, Washington state got off to a good start. Everybody started to wonder like, is this going to be another nightmare in Pullman? And then Oregon got hot in the second half and couldn't get stopped. And, and I think with that upgrade at quarterback from Brown to, uh, from Shuck to Brown, I think you play that same way against Wazoo and you're going to have success for four quarters. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think if I think Oregon's going to be smart enough to recognize, hey, look, Washington State knows in order to win or compete, they're going to have to stack the box and stop the run game. You know, I think you'll see Oregon really look to open it up. Doesn't mean that everything's going to be deep and downfield passing, you know, but you'll see some really nice screen plays, some really nice intermediate routes. You know, I think they'll look to get Anthony Brown in a rhythm and, you know, make no mistake about it. He's playing better football week over week over week. He wasn't asked to do much last week, and I know he had the pick, but you know, outside of that, he's really playing pretty good football and certainly seems to be getting more comfortable and better in the offense. All right. So my lock of the week. Jaden Delora is a, a decent quarterback in the Pac-12. And I say decent because he's only a sophomore. I think he's going to get better as time progresses, but I think he's going to have his struggles on Saturday. To me, this is a game where the Oregon secondary can force some turnovers and get some interceptions on that run-and-shoot offense. Oregon gets at least two picks, and that's my lock. No, I like it. No, I, I think, and you even heard, uh, you know, Coach DeRuder this week, 
you know, talk about getting back to, you know, forcing turnovers. Really, that's the only, you know, I know they had the pick uh, last week. Uh, Jordan Happel had the the, uh, the clubbed pick last week in Seattle. But, you know, ultimately they're not getting the turnovers they were early in the season. And I think that's really, you know, just based on what we saw last week, uh, you know, that's really the only thing that this defense is missing and can can really change these in my mind, they they are they have the ability to change these closer games for Oregon, you know, into games where you know the score at least isn't as close as it has been in some of these games. You know, getting those turnovers, uh, you know, giving the offense short yardage to work with, yeah. um, you know, that, that's a big element for Oregon. Like you said, I I think, you know, I know that Washington State's got a pretty good sized offensive line in terms of size, in terms of weight. But, you know, being able to contain a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, Brandon Dorless and those guys, Noah Sewell, when he's blitzing right at you, it's pretty tough for any offensive line. So hopefully they can force some, force some turnovers. Yeah. Yeah, at least two picks. That's my lock. And uh, hopefully the Ducks prove me right on Saturday. 7.30 kick, Pac-12 after dark. Ducks, Cougs should be a fun one with a lot of implications for the playoff, the Pac-12, and more. I, I, I think that'll do it for us. Is there anything else you want to hit on before we wrap it up? No, not at all. I think uh, I think that puts us in a pretty good spot, covered all the sports, and then obviously as basketball continues, we'll talk about them more and more. Right. Okay. So we just crossed the hour mark. We'll, we'll call a, a night on this and get ready for next week. And... Uh, before I let you go, folks, I want to remind you, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you listen and you know somebody that used to listen and they can't find us anymore, or you, you know somebody that might want to listen to us, share the podcast with them. Share it with a friend. Share it with a Duck fan. And again, thank you for listening. Go Ducks. I can do this now.